Well, if you've ever been in another country for any amount of time, particularly a third world country or an underdeveloped country, you usually will come back learning some cultural things and things that you can take away, but you will also likely come back pretty grateful. Pretty grateful for the freedoms and the opportunities that the United States of America represents. Um, we, I've been to a number of places around the world, but about four years ago, we had the opportunity to adopt our youngest son from Ethiopia. And so we had to take two trips. The first trip was a court trip where you sign the paperwork and he becomes your adopted son. But the second trip, you have to leave as a family and come back, and he had to stay there. And the second trip was just the in-between time, the paperwork that has to happen between the first trip and the second trip. And they call the second trip the visa trip because you're lining up birth certificate for him. You're lining up passports so he could get his visa so that when he touches down on U.S. soil, when we go get him the second time, he's a U.S. citizen. So our first trip, we took our oldest two kids, and the first trip was a pretty normal trip. It was a pretty safe and secure trip. It was just everything on the surface, like a surface trip that you would take. And we went to court, and we passed court, and we learned things about Ethiopia. And the first trip overall was just a delight. And we learned some things for the second trip about the smells in a third world country and how things are done in a third world country. And we were a little bit appreciative of the land that we live in. And we came back home. And about 10 days later, we found out that Ethiopia had shut down adoptions completely. And so we were in limbo. 10 days after we left, we didn't know what was going to happen in our adoption. We didn't know how we were going to get our son home. And so our agency, like many others, were going to immigration, trying to get our son's um, passport for weeks. And they finally came to us and they said, look, we think it would be helpful if you and your wife would come. If you would come back and you would show up at immigration as his parents, and maybe that will move the ball forward with the adoption. But the challenge is, is that you have to take custody and until you get him, somebody has to stay. And so we were going into this, leaving our children here. It was a challenging decision, but we chose to go. Well, the second trip was very different. We showed up to immigration the first day, excited about the opportunity to bring our son home. And I didn't quite get the translation, but I saw the guy's face, and his face said a thousand words. And the translation was effectively, go home. Go home. We're keeping our children. And so we went through this month-long process almost to try to get our son out of Ethiopia. And we'd show up to different places and be told no. Under the table things were happening. We went to the U.S. Embassy and we were on the front lines of this. And so us and two other families were giving reports to the U.S. Embassy. And then they were giving reports to hundreds of families across the world that were trying to adopt their own children. And we went through some interesting times, and even the U.S. Embassy said, hey, you, you need to be careful about what you say and how you speak and what you do and what you post, because this third world country was a police state. And so it made us very nervous and very scared. And I remember at the tail end of all the things that we had to go through in that month where you see the dark underbelly of a place and how it really works, and I remember being in the U.S. Embassy, this is U.S. technically soil, and we're in the embassy, and we're going through meetings, and then you looked up, 
and you saw this massive flat screen TV and America the Beautiful began to play. And they showed pictures and video of coast to coast and our country. And let me tell you something, after spending a month and what we were spending a month in, we both were standing there crying, wanting to come back to America. We were grateful to be citizens of a country of opportunity and freedom. And I remember touching down on U.S. soil where Samuel became a U.S. citizen. In the middle of that, he was crying. And I'm like, you have no idea what just happened, buddy. Being so grateful to be back here. I don't know how you feel about the country that you live in. I don't know how much you've traveled. Um, I'm grateful to live in a place that is free. You have more freedoms than most of the world. I'm grateful for those freedoms. I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. I know this country just as well as you has warts and wrinkles and problems, but I'm grateful. And some of you are wondering where this sermon is going this morning. I'm grateful, but all those great freedoms that we have, as citizens of this land, which we ought to celebrate and we ought to shoot fireworks off and we ought to barbecue and we ought to be excited about and we ought to celebrate, they're temporal. They're temporal. They're blessings that God has given us, but they are temporal. They're either temporal because one day you're going to pass or it might change. We are not assured of the freedoms that we have in a temporal nation. We're grateful for them, but we're not assured of them. And yet there is a lasting freedom that God offers us. The ultimate freedom that is found not in a nation, and is found not in your autonomy to do what you want. I don't know how you try to define freedom, but it's found in Christ. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 8, and we'll be in verses 31 through 37 this morning. I want to ask you a question. When you think about freedom, what do you think about? Do you think about the country that you live in? That's right and good. Do you think about what you get to do, when you get to do it, how you get to do it, why you get to do it, regardless of what someone else says? Do you think about freedom in that way, the personal freedoms that you have? You see, the Bible talks about freedom. Jesus talks about freedom, but it's a different kind of freedom. It's not temporal. and It's not about personal freedom. It's freedom that Christ gives. And I want to show you the kind of freedom that Jesus offers and what that should produce in us as his followers. So let's read it, John 8, 31 through 37. So we're taking a little bit of a hiatus from our I Am series this week. We'll be back next week, but we're still in the book of John between I am the light of the world and I am the good shepherd. So John 8, 31 through 37. Here's what true freedom is. Lasting freedom. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. 
I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So the first thing about freedom that I want to share with you this morning from this text is Christ's freedom is rooted in the truth. Christ's freedom is rooted in believing the truth. Look at verse 31 and 32. There's a connection here between freedom and what's true, what's solid, what's reality, not what's arbitrary or what we feel. And this truth is rooted in the person of Jesus, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. The life and no man comes to the father except through me. And so Jesus is the very truth as God is truth. And yet freedom, if you see the connection, do you see there where it says, if you abide in my word, freedom and obedience are connected. Do you understand that? Obedience to his word, obedience to Christ and freedom is connected. Now, kids, I want you to think about this for a minute in your own life. When you're in your own home with your parents and you disobey your parents and you do something that's wrong and sinful, does that give you more freedom or less freedom? Usually it, usually it means you lose your iPad, you're sitting in your room. Because why? Because there are boundaries to freedom, right? And the more You follow what your parents say and the more that you do what's right, the more freedom you have and that freedom is bound to some boundaries. That's true in marriage, isn't it? That there is freedom in marriage to love one another and care for one another and enjoy life, but there are boundaries. And if you go outside of those boundaries and you find someone else to give your love to, then it compromises your marriage. It's true when you drive your vehicle. If you drive your vehicle... With the laws of the land and the boundaries we have, like you're on the Autobahn, you're going to lose that license. But there's great freedom when you turn 16 to have a license if you play by the rules. And so freedom isn't arbitrary. It's not created. It's found in Jesus. But think about the way that truth is talked about in our world right now. How is truth talked about? How is it seen in a relativistic, postmodern, whatever culture? Truth is what you want it to be. I've got my truth and you have your truth unless I don't like your truth and then I'm going to cancel you because I don't like your truth. That's chaos. But that's how we try to understand truth in our world, but it doesn't work. Jesus is saying, abide in my word. My word is true. So Christ's freedom is rooted in truth. Let me ask you just a couple of diagnostic questions. Are you abiding, meaning are you continuing to abide in Jesus' truth? How well is your life increasingly governed by the truths of God's word? See, God's word... God's word helps us understand what is true. And we need to be reminded of what is true in the world that we live in. We need to be reminded of lot. And so how often are you opening the word of truth in your own life to remember and discover how to live out Jesus' truth, how to live out the word of God in your life? 
I'm sure you have 20 Bibles at home. You also have apps. Do you understand how easy it is to take your phone these days and open that thing up, even if you're driving and go to, like, version? Have you ever checked this out? Some of you, t- I mean, all you've got to do is click it, and it will come up with Bible reading plans, devotionals, and they will talk to you. You can do audio Bible. There are so many ways in which you can open the word of truth and be reminded of who God is or be understand who God is and what He has done in and through His Son. And so are you abiding in the truth? See, freedom is anchored in the truth. It is not detached from the truth, but that's not how the world we live works. That's not how sometimes in our own heart it works. This is true for me. I want to pursue this. I want to pursue my heart. You see, Christ's freedom is rooted in believing the truth and living within the boundaries that God has given us for our good. Kids, hear me in that. For your good, so that you will flourish so that your life will be blessed for your protection and for your care. Not because he doesn't want you to have any fun. Not because he wants to limit you. Because he wants you to live in the freedom that he provides. So Christ's freedom is rooted in the truth. Christ's freedom is also freedom from something. When you think about freedom, it's freedom from something, and it's also freedom to something. It's freedom from something. Look at verse 33 and verse 34. These are the Jews. and verse 32, it says that they had believed, but what you find out later, this is a temporal belief. This is not a trusting faith. They, they fall away. But look at this. Here's their response in verse 33. This is, remember the Jews. Remember their history. We're the offspring of Abraham. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. Is that not the silliest statement you've ever heard? If you know Israel, you were enslaved for 400 years physically in Egypt. You were in exile twice to Babylon and Assyria. And currently, you are under the yoke of Roman rule. You've never been enslaved? Your whole history is littered with enslavement and maybe you're thinking spiritually maybe these Jews are thinking spiritually I've never been spiritually enslaved but there is a master that was over them that was worse than Pharaoh that was worse than Nebuchadnezzar that was worse than Darius or Cyrus or worse than Herod and it's the slave master of sin and that's your second idea Christ's freedom has set us free from the captivity of sin and the captivity of death See, the Bible paints this bleak picture without Christ. And that is not only true for these Jews who are sitting here saying, we've never been enslaved. It's also true for you and for me. See, the power of sin captivates and enslaves us. This is the language of Scripture. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I'll give you a couple of examples. Ephesians 2 and the bleak picture that Scripture paints for us about what we were like before Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Here's what it says. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. There's no, nothing, no, nothing beaten, nothing happening. You were dead in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, that was you before you knew Jesus, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath. You know the age-old question, are people good? Not looking like it. Like the rest of mankind. But look at this. But, contrast, verse 4, what happened? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we weren't doing anything, He did it to us, made us, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And you know the rest of the passage. See, Christ's freedom has freed us from the captivity of sin. You ever seen a hamster? You ever had a hamster as a kid? You got the hamster and you're excited about having the hamster and raising the hamster and feeding the hamster even though mom's really going to do it? You stick the hamster in the cage and you get the little circle that runs around and around and around. That hamster's thinking, at least at first, I'm going to run around and around this thing because I want to get out. He ain't going nowhere. He's just running in place over and over and over. He's going nowhere and he's getting out of nothing. That's you and me. We're stuck. Without Jesus, you and me are stuck. There's no escape. There's no freedom. We're captives, a part of the work of Christ. That's freedom. That's lasting freedom. And yet, often, like these Jews in this passage who are living in delusion, and there's delusion out there that autonomy or whatever I want to do gives me more freedom. When in reality, the more I pursue my own freedom, my own autonomy, I'm going to do what I want. I'm the captain of my own ship. And when I do it, I think I'm free. And the reality is, the opposite is happening. The noose is getting tighter. You're not free. You're actually more and more captive apart from Christ. Been there? I've been there. I remember being a college student, leaving the home that I grew up in that taught me the gospel each and every day on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night. And I thought it was restrictive. And God didn't want me to have any fun. And so I left and I went, as, I stayed in Texas, but I got as far away as I could from South Texas. I went to North Texas. And I was pursuing my own freedom. But that freedom wasn't really freedom. It was just captivity and bondage. Until Christ set me free. See, true freedom is grounded in the truth. And freedom is from captivity of sin that only Jesus offers. But it's also to something. Look at verse 35 and 36. Freedom is also to something. It's to sonship. Do you see it? It's to sonship. Christ's freedom is freedom to sonship. Look at verse 35. The slave. So it gives an example. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he says, the slave, and this is, he's thinking first century, if you're reading this or you're understanding what was happening first century, the slave or the servant does not remain in the house forever. So people had indentured servants in their homes. But they weren't blood. They weren't family. But the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. See, the house servant could be discarded. He could be forgotten. He had no family ties. And yet the son was always secure. It's interesting in that culture, you don't see Jesus or even Paul often using um, daughter 
like the idea of dark, because they didn't have, in that culture, they didn't have the same privileges and rights and future inheritance in that culture. So he uses sonship, but he surely, ladies, he surely is speaking to you too. Because Paul later says in the gospel, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, males or females. And so the idea of sonship covers all of us that know Jesus. We've become sons and daughters of the king. And he has set us free from the captivity of sin. You're free indeed. What's interesting about this, this is incredible really. Is what he's saying here is that you go in other places in the New Testament. You actually go from being that child of wrath in, in Ephesians 2 that's hard to read. And you go to being bound in your sin, Romans 6. You go from being a slave to being a son and daughter. That's what happens when Jesus dies on the cross for you and you trust in Christ and what he's done for you. You actually go from being the slave to being a son or a daughter that comes to his table just like his son. You catch that? Do you catch how glorious that is? How dripping with grace that is to you and to me that we once were far off and now we've been brought near? That you're, you're not just dis- over here, but you, you're, you're at his table. You're a son and you're a daughter. And this is what Christ done, does with sonship. He brings us into his family and he sits us at his table. This is called adoption. That's what the Bible calls like spiritual adoption. That he pulls off. If you go to the book of Romans, you see it. And also Ephesians. I'll just, I'll just hang there. We got Romans. I don't know what we got back here. Try not to look back too much. Romans chapter 8. Speaking of sonship. And being made a part of the family. 8.17. God's word says this. And if children, then also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified of him. And then you come to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 speaks of his sovereign grace that he's predestined to us, to sons and daughters. Look at verse 5 through 7 in Ephesians 1. It says he predestined us for adoption to himself. It's something that he does as sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Go down to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard of the word of God, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. When you are a son in a family or a daughter in a family, you have all kinds of rights and privileges. But if you're adopted into the family, you not only have those privileges, but you are sealed. And the Bible's saying here, as adopted sons and daughters, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is security. This is family. This is relationship that He brings about for us. See, Christ's freedom is freedom to sonship, to be adopted sons and daughters of the King. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. When someone first gets into Christ... 
Think about this imagery. He comes out, as it were, of a stinking dark dungeon into liberty. And although he loved his dungeon while he was in it, because he knew not where there were any better place in the world, yet when once he has the experience of perfect freedom and liberty, he would not dare return again into the dungeon for all the world. And that is the gift of sonship that Christ has given you. If you are free, you are free indeed. And yet, it's interesting, because while Christ has broken the power of sin in our lives, and we are no longer captives if we know Him, there is the presence of sin that still remains, isn't there? Think about your own life, even as a Christian, even as someone who is trying to follow Christ. And think about the presence of sin in your life. It still remains. And I often wonder if we forget where we came from. We forget the blessing of being pulled out of that dark dungeon. You think of, I think of a, a person who came from the Middle East, the story of a guy who came from the Middle East, and all his life he had a curfew. Dark 30, you got to be in your home. And he comes and he moves and he gets a citizenship to our country. And he's, first day he's here, he's driving around, he's got an Uber around, and he tells the Uber driver, listen, I've got to be home before dark, it's curfew, he's a grown man, and the guy's like, you got parents that still tell you you got to be home, what's the deal? He's like, no, there's a curfew. He goes, man, there's no curfew in this country. I know maybe you had a curfew in your old country, but there's no curfew here. You're free. And I wonder sometimes how much I live in the old country where I'm not free. How much of the old country is still in me living as a free son of the king? And this was the problem for the Jews. It's a problem for the Jews because they were still trying to add the law to salvation in Jesus. They're saying, yeah, Jesus, plus i got to keep doing these things. Which kind of leads us to our next thought. See, Christ's freedom is not only freedom from captivity. It's also freedom to sonship, but it's also freedom for something. It's freedom for service and sharing. It's not a bait and switch that God does with us, but if you are no longer a captive and you are or a son or daughter of the king, what do you want to do? You want to serve him. You want to tell people about him. So look, turn with me to Galatians just for a minute. Galatians chapter 5. If, if you want to study a book of the Bible about freedom, you need to go to the book of Galatians. Because they were having this problem of legalism. They're having this problem of saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus as a Jew, but I still need to keep the Sabbath, and I still need to do, go through this feast, and I still need to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so he's writing to them, encouraging them, challenging them to drop all the rest. To stop living like they're in the old country and live in the freedom that Christ gives them. And so if you go to Galatians 
chapter 5. This is kind of the apex in the book of Galatians about freedom. In verse 1, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, don't submit again to the yoke of what? Slavery, being a captive. We come down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And otherwise, freedom is not something you just get to have and do whatever you want. You need to follow the truth. But, but through love, serve one another. See, freedom is about serving God. It's about serving the needs of others. Because think about the way we think about freedom. We think about it in terms of license to do what we want. And it doesn't really matter if that's where we're at. It doesn't really matter how us doing what we want affects other people, right? I'm free. I can do what I want. It doesn't matter how it affects you. You ever been on the serving end of that and see how that works out for you? You ever been on the receiving end of that? Where you have to deal with the consequences of somebody else's trouble, sin, etc. But that's often the way we think about freedom. But look at how the Bible is defining freedom and what it's for. It's for service. Isn't that interesting? That in a sense, Christ has set us free to serve. That word serve there is doulos, which is the idea of a bond servant. It's a sense of slavery. Not the same kind of slavery, but it's slavery to Christ out of your own desire and will to serve him because he has made you a son and a daughter, not a captive. So it's freedom that's rooted really in self-control. It's freedom that's rooted in and a desire to serve other people. Second Peter helps us out too. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Oftentimes, that's the way we think about freedom. It's a cover-up for us to do what we want. But live, Peter says, as servants of God. So Christ's freedom is freedom for service, but it's also freedom to share. You know the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18? Maybe you learned this as a kid, that you're a royal ambassador of Christ. Because he reconciled you to himself because of what Christ did for us. We're ambassadors, and an ambassador lives in a foreign land. The Bible says we are exiles and strangers here. In the world, we're exiles and strangers. We're living in a foreign land. But what do you do as an ambassador in a foreign land? You herald, you tell people about your kingdom. And here's the thing. I said it in the beginning and I'll say it again. I am grateful to live in the world, in the nation that I live in, in the freedoms and the opportunities that this country gives me. I am all for that. That is a blessing from God. But I want you to think about what we endorse and what we do oftentimes. What we ought to be doing, given the fact that we have a lasting king and a lasting kingdom who's made us a son or a daughter of the king, who has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness into light. I'm often perplexed a little bit with how much attention and focus we give this earthly kingdom, even in this place. And I'm all for being active, even politically, 
But you know what we ought to do? If we're going to drive our golf carts through our neighborhoods and put up banners and endorsements, maybe we ought to have one that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Maybe we ought to stick a sign in our yard that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Maybe we ought to be sharing about that kingdom. I'm not trying to minimize involvement, but I am trying to say, what are we sharing? Who are we excited about? What parties are we throwing? When we come to worship, are we excited to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? In the same way that we're excited to endorse a candidate or put something on social media. I'm talking to myself, by the way. All right? I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to myself. The lasting King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We ought to be about sharing Christ's freedom with others and celebrating that freedom that others might know. You know when you watch the movies and somebody gets released from prison or escapes from prison, what do they do? Usually they go and unlatch all the other gates so that other people can be free as well. You have the message, the life-giving message. We have the life-giving message of the gospel. We ought to be serving him and others, and we ought to be sharing that. What does that look like in your life? See, Christ's freedom is rooted in the truth. His freedom frees us from the captivity of sin and frees us to sonship for service and for sharing, to, for us to make much of him. Let me close with this. If you ever go to New York City and you look out in the harbor, you see a lady there. You see a lady there who stands tall. She holds a torch in her hand giving light. Inscribed on the pedestal upon which this lady stands are the famous words, these famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp besides the golden door. See, we know this lovely lady as Lady Liberty. And she stands there in New York Harbor with a crown on her head. And that crown has seven, seven spikes. And those spikes speaks of the seven seas and the seven continents around the world as if to say no matter where you're at in the world, you can come here. You can come with all your mess. You can come with all your problems. You can come with all your burdens. You can come with all your needs. You can come because Lady Liberty is holding a torch to show you the way. One more thing about Lady Liberty. At the bottom of Lady Liberty's feet is a chain. A chain that's been broken. She's inviting the broken and bruised people who've been held hostage in one situation or another. No matter where they are in the world, they are welcome to come to America to find freedom. What a great place to be. That place that we love is also temporal. But the freedom in which God offers you as broken people, as people who have burdens, as people who are a mess, 
is the promise of freedom for those who are looking to escape bondage to their sin. And that's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he welcomes us to come and bring our problems and our burdens. And he is faithful to show us the way. C3, your takeaway this morning is this. Live free. Live free. Not redefining what freedom is or truth is. Not license in which the world would tell you that's what freedom is. It's license to do what you want no matter what the cost to someone else. But live free from sin and the captivity of sin that Christ offers you. And live to the sonship in which you have, if you know Jesus, that you are secure at his shore. And live for service and sharing the life-giving message to others who need freedom as well. So live free, let me pray. Father, we're grateful that we live in a place that we can come into an auditorium like this and proclaim the truth of the gospel without worry or care. So we thank you for the, the nation that we live in, that it provides us freedom. We don't want to take that for granted. We want to be people who are grateful for it. But we also want to be people who are reminded of the greater freedom the lasting freedom that comes through Jesus. That he has set us free. He has set us free indeed. Lord, I pray for maybe one here this morning who has not yet trusted in Christ, that is living in their own mirage of freedom, living for themselves in their own way. There's no freedom in that. I pray that you, by your spirit, could show them that truth, that they might live free under your care, that they might bow a knee to Christ and experience the freedom of sonship, the freedom to be in the family, to be a son or a daughter of the king that is secure, that is cared for, that is loved. We love you and thank you for time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.